are plugged in to the Outlet Radio Show with Azania Shanghai. Thank you for plugging into the Outlet Radio Show. I am your host, Azania Shangay. This is going to be a really great show. I'm very excited because today, one, Jeff is back. Thank you, Jeff, for coming back. The man holding me down on sound in the background, Jeffrey Smith. Thank you for coming back to me. And today's guest is um, so incredibly special. She doesn't even really understand why I wanted her to be a guest on the show, but I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to her. Please help me welcome Miss Alicia Hines. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, all right, let me get into why this is really exciting. One, well, um... This particular season of the show, this installment of the Outlet Radio Show, I really wanted to talk about this idea of people who are doing one thing in life and then they're moved and motivated and inspired to change course. And so when I heard your story, I was like, oh, my God, I have to I have to talk to Alicia because I'm so inspired by that. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of courage to do something like that. A lot of grit, a lot of gumption. And because this radio show is really me attempting to do the same thing, I need that inspiration. I am craving it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm enjoying these conversations that we're having this time around. And so for you, I'm, I'm going to simplify it like to the mm-hmm. most basic terms. But you went to school, you went to Princeton, you started out teaching, and now you are going to be very soon opening a restaurant and you've changed course. And it's very exciting. And when we talked the other day about you making this shift and change in your life, one of the things that you said, um, you wouldn't be who you are if it wasn't for your mother. So that's really going down to the root of who you are. So talk to me a little bit about that relationship and how your mother has inspired you throughout your journey. Um, Well, I can say uh, my mom is a Jamaican woman first like she will let you know it from the moment you meet her and I think what that means uh, for her is that she's tough like she's little (laughs) my mom is like five one maybe she says she's five two but she's like five one and but she's tough she has like you know this tough little hand about her it's Mm -hmm. chubby and fat and she loves to cook and she's always moving her hands but she's a tough little lady and she came here sort of after uh, leaving Jamaica at a young age um, being raised by her dad Um, her own mother uh, moved to England when she was four years old Mm -hmm. my mom Uh, And so she was raised pretty much by her dad, who I think had to take on a lot uh, to raise a child on his own, um, a young daughter on his own. Um, And I think in the time it was a little daunting and not really heard of, Mm -hmm. you know, 
the moms were there to take care of and so my mom had to kind of rely on extended family female uh, members of the extended family but really grew up as an only child with her dad um, and went to school and hung out with great people and you know she went to Camperdown High School and people like Bunny Whaler and all kinds of musicians that I grew up listening to their music she considered those people her school friends mm. and <laughs> uh, you know she came here thinking I'm gonna start over in a new place kind of like what my mom did but uh, without a child sort of to see how this is gonna go mm -hmm. um, <laughs> very shortly after though she met my father and had me mm -hmm. um, and that relationship didn't really work out and uh, she, here she was in Brooklyn with a young child in the 70s and you know trying to make do mm -hmm. and she did really well she held a number of jobs the whole in living color when they were joking about Jamaicans having <laughs> so many jobs I was like that ain't no joke that's real like <laughs> that's not I'm like yeah many job you know um, <laughs> that yeah that was just like I was like how did they know yeah that's exactly <laughs> what it was um, she worked for a law firm she worked as a domestic she worked for a domestic for a lawyer and then worked in his office became the office manager mm -hmm. she was helping other people get uh, their green card she did a radio spot for the guy <laughs> to do I mean she was like oh well you need somebody to advertise the law firm okay you know and she had this whole thing set up with their make a phone call I don't even remember that ad to play on <laughs> LIB on you know Sundays on the radio with Gil Bailey yeah, she was yeah. like, you need a green card. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I mean, this lady just, I mean, everything like, and through all of that, I got to grow up and watch that she would take me up to the record store. My Uncle Frano had a record store on Nostrand Avenue, Love People Records. That was also the nightclub also. Mm -hmm. So, like, we would go up there and get records every step. You know, that was just like a ritual. After you wake up and clean the house, you make, you know, lunch, and then you go to the supermarket, and then you go like, buy a record, <laughs> and you come home, and then you cook, you know. And, like, that was sort of my experience. And she, she did a lot. She raised me, and uh, my sister came after that, and uh, we both went to private school in you know New York City an all-girls school that you know she she sussed out wherever whatever it was because to her mind it was your education your education your education yeah. um, and so that was just I mean that was all yeah I mean it's just like well, you can't she's like in, if you you have your education she's like anything you can do anything and she's like if I know one thing she's like I'm smart and if you have anything of my smart <laughs> she's like you can right. go far so and I see I'm like yeah this lady didn't come from much but she's brilliant she yeah. is brilliant and she raised me and my sister one of the things she would always say is don't be an educated fool mm. like I love that she couldn't that she cannot <laughs> abide you know um if you didn't know about people if you didn't know about the street if you didn't know about how the run-ins go right then all of that education don't work nothing right so 
I remember you telling me the other day a story about how because your sister went to Yale mm-hmm. and you went to Princeton and you, there was a family member who said, "Oh, you're so lucky. Your children turned out so well." And your mother was so offended. <laughs> she was. <laughs> she was she like, was. "Luck, <laughs> luck." Yeah. Um, because luck didn't have anything to do with it in her mind. She was like, "That's called hard work." Right. I think to her mind, it was the work that she put in to make sure that we were you know able right. you know because it, it wasn't just sending you to the school and oh it's such a great school it's like you got to get up in the morning and your hair has to be washed and the, your clothes have to be clean and there has to be you know you have to go looking healthy and your face can't dry and you like you know right. she's she's like all of this is work it's excellence too it's a it's a standard of excellence you go out there you first of all if you look and you feel excellent you'll perform excellent i mean that's how my family felt and so, and I come from a Caribbean background round as well. My my family's from St. Lucia, so I'm mm-hmm. very familiar with a lot of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It sounds it sounds like home to me as well. Yeah, and and that was a, that was a belief system within my household as well. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand what they're saying. So y- your your mother made a she created a very solid foundation for you, mm-hmm. and you then went on to Princeton, and you were telling me how you <laughs> your first semester. <clears throat> your grades did not reflect no. <laughs> your performance beforehand. And yeah. your mother was like, "What was is something wrong? <laughs> yeah. She was wor- worried about me. You know, because when that happened, when that was happening, it was right around, like, this whole affirmative action thing was very, very new. Mm-hmm. And this, despite the fact that I had gone to school with um, these girls, a very small class of, of women, 33, mm-hmm. um, they knew my grades. They knew what it was. When it came time for college admissions, there was no, oh, I can't believe she got in here or she got in. I'm like, nobody's looking over here like, oh, of course she got in because. Right. And, you know, so that wasn't the issue. So when I got to school, though, and those grades came up, I was like, well, am I? <laughs> Maybe I'm not in the right place. Like, what's going on? Yeah. But it was really because, um, and, uh, my husband and I were talking about this because our own child, we just dropped her stuff off <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> um, she's going and she's going with a whole lot more uh, kind of information than I had when or he had when when we were going uh, to Princeton because like no one was like, OK, yes. So, you know, you've been really good and you've been going to class and going to school every day, waking up at, you know, 630 and getting to school up in Manhattan, you know, on the train by 810. Like you've been doing that. So maybe in your first year of college, you don't want to choose a class that you're not really that interested in that meets at nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> right. when you're finally away from your house and you're like, oh, nobody's <laughs> waking me up. I'm going to sleep in today. Exactly. Like I'm going to, you know, no one was telling me, you know, about those kinds of things. Yes, I had an academic advisor, a dean, but that person was really just looking at me as, oh, here's a bright girl. She came from this school. Mm-hmm. She should be able to handle this. It's fine. Well, what do you want to take? Uh, oh, you want to take this? Great. Sure. Go ahead. Have at it. So it wasn't that kind of um, that that real conversation, the, yeah. the, the stuff between the lines that can often go yeah. missed. Which nowadays is kind of par for the course, and I know that because that is what I ended up. That was my career, like mm-hmm. you know, after graduate school and teaching. Um, teaching is a part of that. You start to get to know your students and 
the certain challenges that they are facing while they're coming to school yeah and like how they have to separate their school life from their home life and sometimes that line is a little messy and the reasons why that is and mm-hmm. all of that they're bringing into the classroom you know um i think nowadays or at least the kind of education that my children were able to receive meant that it meant it means that kind of attention where mm-hmm. you have educators who are really focusing on more than just like the whole like they say the whole child yeah and um so through my experience as a teacher i really got to see that and hopefully i think contribute a little bit to those kids like me who were like okay I'm here I'm doing this because my parents say get your education but like what am I really doing right um so you you went to you went to Princeton you when you left Princeton you went to NYU for grad school Mm -hmm. then you went into teaching did you know that you wanted to go into teaching before before going to Princeton did you have like a goal like this is what I want to be um I was when I was an undergrad, I was definitely enamored with um, not just my professors. Um, I happened to go, I was there at a time when it was like Cornell West, Toni Morrison, Winnie Lubiano, oh Al Rabato, Arnold Rompersad. These are like all of the people who are writing all of the things that are coming out about wow. like blacks, like everything, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm sitting there. I was choosing now wisely after that disastrous first <laughs> Choosing wisely the courses that I wanted to take, choosing, you know, the times that, like, timing my joint to the point where it's like, oh, yes, we have the professor and preceptors, like, we had other grad students who taught the sections, Mm -hmm. but the professors did actually teach a section, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get, not just, not just be in the lecture, but I'm going to get Cornell's section. Right, right. And I'm not just going to be in Toni Morrison's, Dr. Morrison's lecture, I'm going to be in her section. Right. Like, I'm doing this kind of stuff right. now and so through that I was able to work with them on a couple of conferences we had a race matters conference with Cornell West and Stuart Hall and like all these like just amazing writers uh, anyone you can name in terms of like a public intellectual was yeah. there yeah. you know it was Princeton in the 90s it was like right after Rodney <laughs> King it was like everything was going on yeah. so I was in love with that life. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to get a PhD and I'm going to be a professor and I'm going to write these books and it's going to be awesome. Right. And that's what I'm going to do. And um, I, one of my professors, Andrew Ross, who was the head of uh, the American Studies program, put my focus that way a little bit. I was, a, I was an English major, um, but I also had all these sort of multiple interests. And he was like, did you do that? Mm-hmm. Think about American Studies. It's a way to kind of ground all of the things that you're interested in, whether that be film or queer studies, gender, literature, history, uh, sociology, you right. know, bring that all there. Um, so I did that and thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And um, I actually edited a collection of essays with two of my colleagues. One of them, Alondra Nelson, big up to her. She <laughs> is the uh, director, uh, dean of sociology at Columbia. I'm, I'm probably not getting this right, but she's a big deal <laughs> over wow. there. Um, and she's awesome, and she writes about um, uh, health and uh, race and technology and Afrofuturism. She's awesome. She wow. would actually be a really great person to interview. Okay, taking <laughs> that so down. You know. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, another colleague of mine, Tui Lin, who writes about fashion and Asian politics and gender. And we wrote this collection of essays called 
uh, Technicolor. And it's about race and technology in everyday life. And we interviewed all these great people and we had people submit essays and that was feeling really like what I wanted to do. And, um, and then I got pregnant with my first baby and I was like, whoa, I've been like working, working, like since I'm 13, right. like working on, you know, in the men's haberdashery to the like, you know, I never had a fast food job, but I did work, you know, every year of my life until I was 26 and yeah. including school, working while I was at school. And I was feeling like this is enough. Like I need to maybe take a break and chill. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did. It got real. <laughs> it so, got real yeah, real quick. I finished. <laughs> yeah, I finished up my master's, and I was like, "All right, do I go ahead and invest the time and the commitment to go for my PhD, or is it something that I wait on and see?" You know, I have a colleague of mine, uh, Kitty. She was in my cohort at NYU. She was in her, I don't want to talk about her age, but she had grandchildren and she was like, I'm going back to get my PhD. Yeah. She writes on labor mm. and uh, queer studies and she's awesome. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I could be like Kitty, you know, <laughs> do that. <laughs> this doesn't have to be over. You know, it doesn't right. have to be over. Um, and so I was home that summer and pregnant and Mark's English teacher, Dr. Schiller, David Schiller called up and was you know just checking in seeing how it's doing and I was like I'm thinking about you know just taking a break a little bit from grad school and he's like well do you want to teach or something and I said sure that sounds like you know I, I taught when I was in school as a TA mm -hmm. but you know I'll, I'll try high school students I didn't love teaching undergrads because I felt like they had other priorities mm -hmm. so then I, I was like all right and I ended up teaching high school students uh but yeah so Noah my first baby that was really the moment when um I was like I gotta I think just kind of reevaluate maybe just do some teaching for a time and I taught a class of a Horace Mann summer school and one of the things you said the other day when we talked about it was that when you started teaching um, you found that it served you and that it allowed you to kind of be with your children because yeah. the schedules aligned mm -hmm. when they're out of school, you're out of school. Mm -hmm. And that was really important to you. Yeah, and the day lined up really nicely. We all got ready to go to school. Mm -hmm. It helped when, you know, they were all at the same school. That got to be a little bit too hectic when I was teaching and they were at the school because then I felt like kind of divided loyalties. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I needed to be more of a parent in certain situations. So the, once we got that sorted and they were at my alma mater, and I was at Horace Mann teaching, then it kind of felt more like, okay, mm -hmm. you, know, you guys go to school, I'm going to school. You guys are home from school, I'm home from school. You know, oh, we're on break. We all have the same holidays. Like it was yeah. really a sweet way to raise my children, be really involved with school, do something I love to do, still be reading, still be teaching. Um, yeah, so that that was pretty much the reason for me staying, you know, that long. Became really comfortable and really good at it. Mm -hmm. And um, and then something changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something changed in that my kids got older. How many years were you teaching? I was teaching. Before something started to change for you. It started to change. I think probably um, when my kids got into high school so maybe I would say that's around 2015 maybe a little before that um, I had just graduated a second class because after teaching for maybe about 
in 10 years, I became an administrator. I was a dean at Horace Mann as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was less time in the classroom, which was good because what had become exhausting was the amount of uh, papers and grading and things like that. Uh, a full-time teacher is not an easy job. Like, right. it really is not. Like, Bad you, kids, you <laughs> it's not even the kids. It's the work, the, the work that you're giving them, the, the stuff that, you know, like, there, the papers you're grading, but also you are, like I said, if you're, if you're good at what you do and you really – focusing in on your students you know why the paper looks the way that it does so right. the paper is not just about the conversation then the meeting is not about just the paper right. it's like what okay what's going on like why because i hear you talking about this stuff in class are you not reading tell me why you're not reading like right. what's happening and so those conversations can't just be academic mm -hmm. and to get a kid who's trying to successfully not think about that stuff that's messing with them Mm -hmm. to kind of open up in you know in a meeting one-on-one -on -one and talk about what's going on that's like that's a lot and so then me I'm going home I'm taking all this stuff home I made sure <laughs> that I did all my work at home at school like the grading stuff because that was really important to me to establish my divide to be like okay um this is school and work stuff but when I come home it's all you guys like I don't want right. to be thinking and me like hello <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. me too um so uh but the the other stuff would linger like you know I'd be going home and I'm thinking about oh he can you know he's messed up and like his dad told him to care and like or his dad showed up when he didn't want him to be there and now he's stressing about this paper and or that now his father is like, you got to go to this college. You better get an A on this paper. And I'm looking at the paper like, this paper is terrible. And it's yeah. like, but first of all, it's not going to affect your whole grade. Like, chill out. But I've got all this in my head. Right. And when it was like, I can't let the stuff go, that's when it started to change a little bit. I started thinking, hmm, what if when I retire <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to do one more cycle. I'm going to do, you know, one more cycle of kids. Um, and one, one more cycle is another four years, essentially. Wow. So in my head, I was like, I'll just do one more cycle. And then one more cycle. And maybe because I'm a Gemini, too, I like to like things to be lined up <laughs> the right way. I'm like, that'll be right when Jordan graduates, my middle child will graduate in 2019. So I was like, yeah, so I just graduated one more. And then by 2019, then Jordan will be graduated. This class will be graduated. And then I can retire on this wave of like, yes, I <laughs> You know, and um, then that was, like, not working. Like, that as a coping mechanism <laughs> was not working. Um, and the balance started to get more and more off. And then there were some particularly, um, I just call it what it is, traumatic things that happened um, in, like, a the beginning of 2015, the 2015-2016 school year that... Mm -hmm really kind of shook me not just as an educator um but also as just a, a person just my personal um moral compass like there were things that were starting to happen that things that I started to see that I felt like this is sort of challenging me and it's harder for me to separate like this bifurcation that I keep trying to throw up yeah and then I was like and then why am I doing that like it shouldn't be that way I shouldn't have to work so hard to separate these two things mm -hmm. if I really do love what I'm doing there should be yes like I know work is work but there should also be something that I'm doing 
that is really when they say your livelihood. Yeah. That you know makes me lively. If I like get up in the <laughs> right. morning and I'm like I gotta drink this much coffee <laughs> to get lively, then this isn't my livelihood. Right. This is my. I this love is that. my. Gotta get there. <laughs> gotta get the benefits. You <laughs> gotta know, do this. Gotta hood. get that health insurance. <laughs> gotta get the bennies. Like this is. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, no. I have evidence. And, and I didn't come to this, I didn't put it in these terms until I read this book afterwards, but I, I had evidence that I was gonna be okay. Like whenever, if ever I felt stressed about money, just just how people stress about money, mm-hmm. and you know, you get your paycheck and then you already know what is going to, so then you're already thinking about what that little, and I'm like, oh, whenever I stress about it, it always seems like I have less. <laughs> whenever I'm oh like, my goodness, whenever yes. I stop thinking about it, whenever I'm like, I'm not even going to check that balance. I don't give a shit. I don't care. <laughs> I don't even care. All of a sudden, there's like a check in the mail. All of a sudden, like BMI yeah. sends mark yeah. this thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to, you know what? How about, how about, how about I don't worry about this? Right. How about I don't worry about this? Because I have evidence. And like my mom said, I'm not going to go hungry. Yeah, you can't work. Like, as long as you can work, you're not going to go hungry. Absolutely. So I, I was like, okay, I'm good. Right. I so don't. what's this book that you read? Because I know how much, you, I, I know this much about you. You are a lover of, and I mean a lover of books. <laughs> so I'm like, what is this book? Books all over the place. <laughs> um, I, uh, oh my goodness, it's a manifesto for meditation. Mm. And it's written by this dude. Burford, I believe his last name is. And I only found this book by happenstance. Mm-hmm. I was in the Barnes and Nobles <laughs> uh, waiting for Sean Peters because uh, he, this is right after I did my like little pivot and w- not really a pivot. It was kind of like a breakdown where I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> I literally just like ran, I literally ran out of my office one day just from the <sighs> shock and awe of what the situation was. <laughs> And um, thankfully, my my folks there, you know, the good thing about working where I did is that it, it really is a community. The faculty, everybody took care of me. And nobody was like, what the hell, chick, what you talking about? You got to get your ass here. <laughs> get here right now. I was like, I need some time. I got to go. And they were like, sure, it's okay. <laughs> you know, um, and so they were really supportive. And I was able to take that time. And in that time away, while I was assessing what I wanted to do, because I really then didn't know, um, I uh, started doing some writing because that's my first instinct. I'm like, read. I'm a reader and I'm a writer, so mm-hmm. I'm start writing. And I started writing some grants for Mark uh, and for his company for some um, new tech stuff for the NEH. And and then I wrote a grant for Sanford uh, for a couple other things. And Sean Peters was working on a film called The Art of Dying Young. And oh, was, yeah. And so I started, I was like, oh, you know, we were at Sanford's wedding, I think, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he's like, oh, I heard you were writing some grants. Do you think you could do that? I was like, sure. So let's meet and talk about it. And I'm in there waiting for him. And I'm wandering through uh, the stacks. And I see this book. And it's in the, like, weirdly techy business section. And I'm like, I don't know, know what I'm doing in here. And I see this, like, <laughs> slim volume um, with this gold writing that says the manifesto for meditation. And I was like, oh yeah, I need that. Cause I need, I needed like something to just kind of easy, slim, calm right. me down. Like just let me, 
I know from my own practice to like let things go and like I have to watch the thoughts come in and out. So I'm like, all right, let me see you read this. And I start reading it. And it's not really like about meditation per se, but it, it really was a guide for me. And mm-hmm. it really kind of helped me orient um, my mind towards the things that I know to be true. It's so interesting because there's this book one of my favorite books of all time is The Alchemist. It's mm-hmm. a book that I that I I don't even I, I don't remember how it came to me, but I've read it so many times over the years. Wow, we'll see. I've given it to given it as gifts to like maybe twenty people. I've gone and like, you know what? You're going through something. Come meet to the bookstore, and I've literally walked people in and bought them this book. Yeah, I love that book. And one of the things I think the overall theme of the book is when you're on your divine path, the universe will conspire for you to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking about the fact that you had this moment at work where you were like okay I can't take this anymore and then you started moving into a practice that was that was um really who you are you started writing and writing led you to being sought out by Sean which led you to the bookstore which led you down that aisle Mm -hmm. and there's this quote um when the student is ready the teacher will appear Mm -hmm. and I feel like that is also in terms of like when you're ready for the lesson, it will appear. And in yeah. that moment, you needed those things because you were in the right mental space and physical space. You were open and receptive to Absolutely. it. And so it feels like because you were exactly where you were supposed to be, you were in the space to receive this message. Absolutely. And it gave you the courage to then step out and decide. At first, ask yourself the question, what do I really want? What do yeah. I want to do? And then set off in that path, in that direction. Yeah, I mean... Without a doubt, I think I I sort of fell victim to my own sort of my profession. I know this stuff. I mean, even as I was reading the book, I was like, oh, yeah, I know this stuff. Like, <laughs> right. I know this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it everything made perfect sense to me. But literally, I was that student. I was that student who's just like... I got this going on and I got to do this and I have to be here and and I'm thinking about this thing and in a way that didn't allow me to sit down and say okay actually what is what is the task at hand what am I trying to do here what's the right thing for me I was advising all these kids to you know about college and what choices to make and I didn't feel like I was advising myself in the same way wow and then literally I would be somewhere and someone would mention, oh, do you remember that time when you catered that so-and-so's um, event? And I was like, oh, yeah. Or remember that time when you were at the Gowanus and, and it was so-and-so and Bobito was playing? And you and I was like, I don't even remember cooking for that thing. <laughs> like, what was that? And then, um, yeah, it was just all these folks uh, – sort of coming into my really actually started I went back to books after I read that um, I went to the library Uh, they just reopened the library up the block uh, here in my neighborhood Um, I went to the library and there was this um, New York City startup competition offered through the public library and it was like, you know, you go to these workshops and we have an advisor who's going to talk to you about creating a business plan that you will then enter into this competition. And uh, you're competing for fifteen, ten, and $5,000 prizes uh, for your business plan. Um, and you would pitch it. If you're a finalist, you pitch it before these you know, potential investors, banking people, their board of folks. So whatever, I was like, okay, that sounds like something. I already kind of toyed with this idea of uh, 
writing a business plan. I know that you have to have one nowadays, (laughs) you know, but then I also learned more about that and that whole have to have one is also um, a tricky thing. Um, I think it's good to have one that all businesses should have like an actual plan. Um, I think you need one definitely if you're going to go to a more traditional source of lending like banks. but what the plan did for me was not, was actually kind of give me the space to work out what I really wanted to do. It was a great way for me as a reader and a writer to then, okay, let me organize my life. <laughs> <laughs> let me organize my life by writing this plan. And, and like I said before, in terms of my sort of uh, compulsiveness to like order things, I was like, oh, this is just perfect for me. It's at the library. It meets this many times. I can and you know set mm-hmm. amount of things it gives me a sketch I mean it was really comprehensive mm-hmm. this is where you should be by this point I mean it was like if they were given an grades for and being in this competition I tell you <laughs> if I didn't win it I didn't win it but I got an A plus <laughs> I give myself an A plus because I was there at everything like notes that there was sparse attendance I was like mm-hmm I'm here taking my notes and I'm talking to people and I'm meeting people and I'm making calls and yes all these folks are just like coming out of the woodwork in terms of just from across various things it'd be like oh I was thinking oddly about point of service systems and then here comes this person who's like yeah I know this guy who's starting to point a POS business and you know he's really great you should talk to him and all kinds of random associations Mm -hmm. that just started overlapping um, right at the moment when I'm like, oh, now I want to think about doing this. And now I get up and I'm not like, okay, who, uh, you know, who am I? <laughs> like, who am I today? Like, okay, today I'm like the dean. Today, um, you know, I got to be mom for this thing. Today I'm like, okay, Alicia's going to get up and Alicia's going to go to this meeting. And mm-hmm. then Alicia's going to do this. And then I'm going to make this. And then, and that will have been my day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. And I feel like really, I I feel probably much more thoughtful about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I think before I was just kind of doing and seeing results and being like, okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. So stuff is working. I'm, ha- you know, stuff is happening. Um, but yeah, this yes. feels like it's like manifesting. It feels yeah. different. And so, what was the business um, idea that you had that you? that you developed through this experience? Um, So, well, I knew that I wanted to do food because that was kind of like my little side hustle all along. I'd always been cooking. Like, my mom is a cook, and so, um, and, you know, people have always responded well to my food, so I did some catering, and and so I was like, all right, I think I now want to, and I've worked in food service. You know, I've waited tables, I've hosted, I've worked at a coffee shop, full-time at like managed places like so I was like okay this feels comfortable to me I like the kind of exhaustion too that comes at the end of that kind of work yeah it's a different kind of exhaustion when you come home after like teaching and like hearing stories of whoa because it's <laughs> teenagers you know I mean they can't help it <laughs> you know so it, that's a different kind of uh mental exhaustion uh than like the that that the physical exhaustion but also the gratification after you know working and putting really good food on tape like that's like that's a different kind of thing I was like I could I could deal with that 
um, and but I thought that I wanted to be more um, thoughtful again about the kind of business um, I wanted it to be kind of like a sure bet in that I know that a lot of restaurants fail yes but I feel that if you have a particular signature product that that could be that's a sort of a pivot um, the kind of a niche rather that um, can make or break uh, a restaurant, particularly yeah. a new restaurant. I also know I, that I wanted it to be small because I don't like, I'm an older person. Let's be, I'm like being real about <laughs> my energy level at this point. I've done a lot of work. I've worked really hard in my life. It do as I now, my children are retiring and I can start to enjoy a little <laughs> bit. Now start running around like I'm 22. No, I don't want right, to do that. I don't. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to have a restaurant and a kitchen that is firing on all cylinders, but you're not running around like a crazy person. Like, yeah. come on. I knew I wanted it to be small. I knew I wanted it to be manageable for me in my time. And I wanted it to be something that people would gravitate toward that could be good and good for them. They could eat a lot of it and not feel like, la da game no one, none of this. Be done with that. I don't wear <laughs> that. So, you know, so that kind of led me to patties. I was like, oh, patty, me can do some patty. <laughs> because that way, it's small. It's like you could have it, little lunch item, you know, and it's distinctive. It's Jamaican. And you and can do different flavors. You can have you different were, things. You were very clear about thinking late night. You wanted something quick that you can carry and go. Yes. Right? Right. So you that's why you get said little patty would be a great idea. And I was like, patty is short, little, just patty. That's all, you know, <laughs> you come in, you know, like Jamaican place, you come in, patty, we have patty, that's what we have, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yes, that's where I'm at, um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that, and I started, you know, of course, make the first test is the family, everybody that want to eat these patties, because <laughs> you guys are my first audience, and I'm, you know, the fillings are great, but my pastry was just not hitting it and I was like oh. and I did a few more rounds and I, you know they could yield a better result but I was like no we can't come to the market with just a try a thing I have to be <laughs> sure shot like it has to be <laughs> bang because you don't want nobody to come and tell you say your pate and you're like I did just learn how to make these you know that can't be the excuse so I was like no no I can't do that I was like no and it would be a disgrace to my mother <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it would just be a disgrace. She and would said, not allow didn't it. Didn't you say your grandfather was a baker? And my grandfather's a baker, so <laughs> it would just be terrible. Oh my terrible. Gosh. So I was like, no, we can't do that. What I then landed on were the dumplings. And that was actually only accidental. Um, totally forgot about this part. During this little sort of transitional time, I was working with a friend of mine, um, a uh, very dear friend of mine uh, who's a lawyer and uh, his, his wife is my closest friend and uh, he decided to open a gallery. <laughs> Speaking of people who pivot. I love it. He <laughs> opened an art gallery and um, I was like, oh, let's, we're going to do a show. And it was, it used to be, in, it's in Peekskill, New York. And in Peekskill, in the main part of town, the, it's slated for artist housing. So there's the main street. And then sometime in the 60s, they decided they were going to provide subsidized housing for any artists or art galleries because mm -hmm. they wanted to have a sort of vibrant nightlife. Mm -hmm. And that tradition has continued. And he saw to take advantage of it. 
um, and put a gallery there. And um, it has a kitchen because it used to be an apartment. So I was like, oh, this will be my little test kitchen. I can come up here and either practice my patio, <laughs> 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 uh, you know, but also, you know, have events. We'll host events here and have some folks come through and, um, you know, that'll be away. Mm -hmm. And it was actually uh, uh, for an event um, that I was doing uh, for uh, an opening there. And he was like, you want to make some food? And I was like, yeah, sure. Make something that'll be quick and not too messy. People can eat them, you know. And I was like, I don't do a whole bunch of hors d'oeuvre type things. I don't know. I don't know about that. So <laughs> like, I was like, I'll make dumplings. And um, I can make them pretty quickly. And it's crowd pleaser. And then I was like, oh, hmm. <laughs> because, yeah, I made the sauce I, I make... Uh, from scratch it's not a like a typical soy sauce also mm. so that's like the the i made the signature sauce and when it comes out it's like a really like a nice kind of almost like a paint you can can't like a nice canvas so mm -hmm. i was like plating all these pretty things with the dumplings and i'm like oh i think this is a good thing oh yeah the thing about the dumplings is that i get to kind of meditate while i make them because i can set up have my whole <laughs> mise en place and then then it's just like folding mm -hmm. and I'm breathing through like I time my breath <laughs> <in> the fold. <laughs> and then I have you know and then by the time I'm finished with one sheet pan is like 36 dumplings and then I move on to my next and 36 is just about a stack of wonton skin so it's like it should take me that much time to go through mm -hmm. and yeah and then I kind of just so it's been this really nice way to bring my meditation into my cooking. And I think um, that to me feels like the short shot. I'm like, oh, and then I would make yeah. numblings. I'm always like, these are good. Get more of these, they would be gone. I'm like, dang, I gotta <laughs> make more of these. So um, yeah, and so um, from there, I just started kind of sketching out um, the shape of the dumpling and what I wanted to, to be. and. Uh, I kind of hit on Lickle as the name because it's small and like I said I wanted it to be you know, a little Jamaican place and um, because I couldn't leave out my you know books because they <laughs> go with me everywhere. <laughs> um, it's a library as well because I thought that would also be a nice way to have people gather. I, I've always um, I've always thought about not opening a restaurant in particular, but having a kind of like a social club. I think of, I studied Harlem and the Harlem Renaissance. Mm, that's um, my favorite time period, oh my you God. You know, I studied the literature, I love Zordiel Hurston, I love Hughes, yes. I love, I love all, and I love, I love, nobody ever says this so much, but I love Arturo Schomburg mm. because I think he is I think he was a genius to just to be like, I'm no, somebody has to, somebody has to document this stuff. Somebody got to keep these things somewhere. Right. We got to make it a nice place. And his, you know, his whole home was about keeping these, this wonderful archive. And the library has always been a place for me <coughs> like that, where I uh, can have a sanctuary. The Bo Brooklyn Public Library right there on Eastern Parkway, right on the ground. Yeah. That was where, you know, that me after school like in the library mm -hmm. that's what you know that was my fun place so 
I figured any place where I was where there was food and my people gathered that there should be some books because people also connect over books, you know. Yeah. Um, you're talking about The Alchemist, that was another one of my reads. I read that during my transition time, but having read it years ago and mm -hmm. just really forgot the message. <laughs> I, was, I had read um, the, uh, the Childhood of Jesus, which is, um, uh, I believe, Katsia. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also about sort of that similar, that's being on the path and allowing the universe to show you, you know, what it is you're meant to mm -hmm. do. And um, yeah, I think I couldn't, I couldn't be in a place that didn't have that connection to my education, to you know, my students, to my friends. Like, you know, that's one of the things, me and Guy, we're like, you know, I tell him books to read. He's like, you're my personal, you know, <laughs> reading. <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, you told me to read that book, I'll read it, you know. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I felt like that was a really important part. Um, the place that I had always imagined would be sort of like Schomburg's home, you know, mm -hmm. where people would come over or even something like Alelia Walker's salon mm -hmm. where it's like people are hanging out and eating food and, you know, chilling, but also talking about, you know, the stuff that's going on. Yeah. And did you read this thing or did you see that? And a lot of those people are writers. Like I think about Dimitri and Miles Marshall Lewis and Selwyn Hines and, yeah. um, Karen Good and like just all these writers that I know who I would love to just be around yeah. and be up here. And yeah. so your your restaurant is going to be in Harlem? It's going to be in this area which is, it is Harlem. Um, pe people like to call this area or now it's been starting calling it uh, Audubon, uh, mm -hmm. Audubon Terrace and it is because uh, James Audubon's estate is right on uh, 155th and Broadway and that used to come all the way down to the water mm -hmm. here in the 1800s I think so yes it'll be in Harlem uh, 149th and Broadway coming soon and what's the name of your shop gonna be Lickle Jamaican Dumpling House and Library <laughs> the Lickle <laughs> shop with a long name <laughs> <laughs> I love it I mean honestly you know it's so funny to me. I still don't understand why you don't know why I would win it. <laughs> because I love, I love one, I feel like your story is something that so many people can relate to. And I think there are a lot of people who are in the position that you were in as a teacher where they were, they're, they're in that space where they're like, okay, this doesn't bring me joy or fulfillment anymore. I know that I'm not supposed to be here. I just don't know how to follow my intuition, my instinct, and move on. I mean, a lot of things paralyze us. A lot of times it's, like you said, money, not being able to figure out what's next. But the fact that you trusted, you were like, okay, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And you allowed that to um, move you into this new space was great. So that's one of the reasons why I felt it was important to hear your voice because I know there are so many people who can relate to that, Thank that you. feeling of being paralyzed in that one space. Then <clears throat> I love how in the in in an effort to figure out what this 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 business was going to be that you had a, a whole idea <laughs> of the patties. Patty. That patty story cracked me up. 
<laughs> you said you were testing it on the family, yeah. and because they love you, they ate it. Yes, <laughs> you said but it, they it were just like, wasn't. It was not good. <laughs> it, it was not good. Just the crust was not right. <laughs> And I love that you didn't abandon the whole idea because one part of it didn't work. And sometimes that can happen where if you if you're if you're so attached to what it's supposed to look like that you can't see another alternative, another possibility. Yeah. You can kind of limit yourself. And so the fact that you were willing to say, okay, well, this happens to be working in these areas when I do these events, and mm-hmm. and it's the same feeling, but I'm yeah. I'm doing it in a different way. And now you've created this idea that is exciting. I cannot wait for this shop to open. I mean, you've been telling me about this for a while, so I'm like, when is the opening date? I want yes. these, I've been hearing about these delicious dumplings for a while, so I'm, yes. very, I'm really looking forward to it. So I feel that there's a lesson in that, in just being open to allowing the vision to lead you, because sometimes these, I feel like, I personally feel like these things have a life of their own. Yeah. My radio show... I had an idea of it being one thing, mm-hmm. and then I had to just allow it to be what it was going to be, and it's kind of gone in this direction of having these types of conversations, and I just absolutely love it because it's really inspiring to me, and I, I love that you allowed this, you, you, you listened to what worked, and you went in that direction, so that's pretty incredible. Well, thanks. I feel like this is a part of it, too, because I think... I would, I'm like, why? But then I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's just see. Why does she want to talk to me? Why does she want to talk to me? Even as I was sitting here talking to you the other day, you're like, I still don't understand. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Your story's so inspiring. Are you kidding me? And then you said the other day, you admitted that you're a little bit nervous. Like, you're excited about this, but you have the nerves. And I like that truth. I think it's important because I even admitted to mm-hmm. you this morning, I'm like, I'm a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. And you're like, really? Why? It's And Jeff always tells me, that's a good thing. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Don't, don't be thrown off by that. Exactly. It's, it's great to be nervous. And when you told me that, I couldn't believe that you could possibly be nervous because you come from such a long line of amazing cooks. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to hold back about, you know, just talking about your mother. <laughs> yeah, man. She's like ready. She's like, oh, we had until we make some fish for her. She's like, she, you know, she's like, she wants the real authentic <laughs> flavor of like chicken or the pepper. I was like, yes, come on now. Oh my God. Okay, really it. quickly, I have to tell you guys <laughs> that I, when I was a little girl, I mean, honestly, and I hope your mom is going to be listening to this, yes. this particular part of the story, especially. When I was a baby, my parents, my family has been going, had been going to this restaurant that was in Brooklyn. And a lot of y'all are going to know what I'm talking about. This place called Apache. They had the best Escovich fish. You understand. <laughs> yes. Okay. And so when I was a baby, my parents would be going to this restaurant and they would chew it up because I couldn't chew <laughs> the fish on my own. Like a baby bird. Right. <laughs> they would baby bird me. They literally would baby bird me your mother's food. And yes. I thought this food was so amazing. Then one day the place closed and mm-hmm. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And for years, this place has been like... I've always talked about it to mm-hmm. people. Like, do you guys, do you remember this place called, <laughs> this place called Apache? Yes. And I just happened to mention it to Alicia um, the other day when I was here talking to her because she's from Brooklyn. Yes. And I thought we could just bond on the fact that we love good Escovich And I said, fish. oh, I made this Escovich fish. And Mark was like, yes. And it was finally it was so like good. close to like close to your mom's. And I was like, really? And then you said, I said, if you know good Escovichas, do you remember Apache restaurant? And she was like, that was my mother. <laughs> I was like, what? I lost it, people. I'm telling you, I nearly cried tears I, here. Yes. Because yes. I was so excited to find this out. <laughs> 
So yeah. I am I am I am still in shock that I found the person that we lost. My family, I'm the hero of my yes. family because yes. I can now tell them I know where this fish can be found. Yes. Um but yeah, I to know that Alicia comes from this <laughs> this woman <laughs> who is a god. Yes. Okay. Is oh, I'm gonna love this part. I li- <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> but this is why I like to have these conversations because I feel like, you know, I'm I'm I mean, this is a bit selfish. This is I feel like I'm getting therapy, my own therapy, by sitting here and talking to you. You inspire me. I know that somebody else is gonna listen to this and be motivated and moved to do something in their life that they're afraid to do. But in me just talking through this with you and hearing you tell your story and share your story, I feel so moved and inspired to be a bit more courageous in my life. Because there are areas, even though people say that what I'm doing now is courageous, there are so many areas where I'm still holding back because I'm still like, as you said, the fear conversation. So I'm really grateful that you agreed to come and be on the show and do this because I definitely feel encouraged to take a look at my life and see where I'm holding back and take some steps in a scary direction yeah because it's not it's It's not not that scary it's not a gun (laughs) you know we went to Cuba and that was a a really transition I needed that but we were standing in the middle of the Malacan Mm -hmm. and there are like cars going by like you know and them heavy cars from the 50s that that one lick and you're gone so i was like oh my god and all five of us are standing there holding hands because you really there's no place to cross really like a crosswalk you gotta frogger that joint right and we're standing there (laughs) and i was like yes this is a moment where one might be afraid yes but i'm not afraid and then the cars moved and we crossed the street and I was like, oh, okay, now I got it. <laughs> no more. So I think the, the really that big thing about letting, letting go of fear and, and whenever doubt creeps up, tell them to kick rocks. Yeah. And, and yeah. So. Well, on that note. <laughs> I'm going to have to just thank you so much thank for you, yeah. facing your fear because I know you were nervous. Yes, I was. I was. <laughs> thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for, for having this conversation and being so open about your journey. And we're really excited about what's coming up next for you. And I like the idea of talking to someone who's on who's embarking on that next big step. It's it's very exciting, very inspiring. And we are going to be coming, me and my listeners are going to yeah. be coming out to have some dumplings Definitely. and read some books. Yes, in the <laughs> opening, I will let you know. Absolutely. What's your social media handle for your Oh, for, your for the restaurant, it's Lickle Shop. So, at Lickle Shop. L-I-K-K-L-E-S-H-O-P. On Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah. Yes. So, follow that so you can keep up to date with, yes. where, with where they are in terms of the opening and location and menu and all yes. that jazz. And maybe I'll even post a picture of me eating a dumpling yes. when they open. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you can follow Outlet Radio Show at Outlet Radio Show on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. And you can follow me at I am Azania Shange on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, take care. Thank you, Jeff. Well, this is Alicia Hines, and you're listening to the Outlet Radio Show with Azania Shange.